seeing you and seeing what I'm talking about. And uh, <laughs> these are the expert ones. These are the ones that work best for me uh, on that. And uh, Tim was giving a similar talk uh, last week uh, across at Mosley. And uh, he came across uh, the Mumsnet website, which he assures me was purely for uh, talk research purposes. Uh, no other reason uh, whatsoever. Uh, so I decided to have a look and just to find out what the latest kind of, um, what those weird pregnancy cravings that people have kind of were. And uh, the, one, the first one I read was Taramasalata by the bucket load. So uh, somebody's into that. The next one was lots of jelly. In fact, they just have pot after pot of jelly and I had 10 pots that day. Uh, pretty, pretty extreme. Uh, next one was, I crave to smell Johnson's fresh bubble bath. I literally have to keep a bottle beside my bed. Uh, and uh, another, I think this was her second pregnancy. It said, this time I want to desperately brush my teeth and chew toothbrushes uh, and eat a bath sponge that's been in a bath with Radox Original. So uh, there you go. So for Ruth, I was asking... <laughs> I was remembering back to Ruth's cravings, and uh, for her it was buttered white toast and cheesy watsits. So that theory that it's all about nutrients and minerals that you desperately need goes straight out of the window at that point, unless, of course, it is pilchers dipped in custard powder, which is your thing. But uh, what is it that we hunger and thirst after uh, in life? And so this morning we're looking at this, this beatitude, this blessing this blessedness that Jesus described. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. We will be filled with all that God has. And righteousness is a central theme in this Sermon on the Mount. It is a central theme actually throughout Matthew's Gospel. Um, we might think of uh, this verse in just a few verses later. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the famous one at the end of chapter 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But it's helpful to be reminded uh, by Tom Wright's uh, take on this, because he says that the Beatitudes are fundamentally an announcement. Okay? The gospel is first and foremost good news rather than good advice. And uh, it is good news to the poor, it's good news to those whose spirits have been crushed, those who um, you know, are spiritually, uh, we have spiritual poverty in our hearts, the downtrodden, the spiritually lacking, and that whole thing that God is on the side of everyone for whom there is no reason why God should be on their side. That's the, the empty person that needs to be filled in this beatitude. So how does that fit in with what sounds like I've suddenly got to be the most religious, the most righteous person in the world? I've got to be better than all of the religious leaders uh, put together. And to really understand this, there's another concept that I think is helpful. I've certainly found helpful in trying to grasp this. And there's another key verse in Matthew 5 in verse 48. So later on in the Sermon on the Mount, um, which in the NIV, the New International Version, says this, Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that sounds impossible, okay? And perhaps it's not the most helpful translation. And uh, the word there, the Greek word there, is this word teleos. So be teleos, therefore, as your heavenly Father is teleos. And this word teleos is a difficult word to translate because it has lots of overlapping meanings. So even in the Old Testament, 
So the Old Testament obviously was written originally in Hebrew, uh, the majority of it. And then around the sort of second or third century BC, it was translated into Old Testament Greek, which is what is known as the Septuagint, which was, I mean, 70, 70 scholars that translated it uh, into Greek. And the word teleos is the Greek word, and we find it throughout the Old Testament in that version of the Old Testament. But it translates a number of different words that were in the Hebrew. So, for example, there's a word tamim, uh, which means complete. Um, that thing of something is sound, you know, sound in the sense of without blemish. Okay, it is, it is perfect in that sense, the whole of it, a holistic approach to it. Someone who tells the truth, you know, somebody who is upright is, is complete and whole in that. But it's also used for uh, words like um, shalom uh, and its relations like shalem. And that shalom is this great idea in the Old Testament of God's peace, of God's harmony, of God's wholeness, of God's completeness, that sense of flourishing in life, that sense of welfare and unity, resolved relationships. And both of these words imply a wholeness, okay? They imply a wholeness to things. So it's the whole of life. It's the physical, it's the financial, it's the relational, it's the spiritual, um, and every aspect that there is. And so the Greek translation, teleos, has this wholeness about it, has this completeness about it, this undividedness about it. And so the translation perfect that we tend to read about in English, we tend to think about as like moral perfection or absolute purity or even sinlessness. And we look at that and we think that is impossible. But that is not the context of the time that it was written in. It really means to be undivided to be complete, to be wholehearted, if you like, in our devotion to God. And in the Bible, these words are always used in the sense of a covenant relationship. So we have this, this, this relationship with God, and it's that commitment that we express within that relationship. Um, we see it used later on. Uh, Matthew uses it, you know, the rich young man. The rich young man comes to Jesus and says, uh, which commands should I do? And he says, well, if you want to be perfect... Go sell your possessions and give it to the poor. It affects the whole of life in some way. I think we tend to think of the word holiness like that. Sometimes we misunderstand the word holiness. We just see holiness as, I've got to just do the right thing. It's a purity thing. And while that is part of the word, holiness in the Old Testament was about being set apart. It was a bit about the utensils in the, in the temple being used for a holy purpose, for a, used for God's purposes. And so it is in our lives. We're not separated from something. We're separated to someone. It's this devotion to God out of which then comes the life that we live. So King Solomon, for example, calls the people to be, uh, their hearts to be perfect in uh, uh, 861. So um, chapter 8, verse 61. Solomon there calling for singular devotion of people's hearts. Okay, singular commitment to God. And then a few chapters later in chapter 11, it says of his own heart that he is uh, no longer, he is not fully devoted. He's not fully teleos, if you like, um, of the Lord, just as David had been. His, his heart has lost its, its way to that. So to summarize, this teleos means wholeness and completeness. It means giving yourself to God wholeheartedly. It means wholehearted dedication that is then demonstrated in how we live out our lives uh, in obedience to his will, the idea of walking with God. Here's a quote uh, from Kent Brower. Living according to the purpose 
of the Creator, in harmony with fellow creatures and with integrity, openness, and obedience toward God. So this Matthew 5, verse 48, that says that we are to be teleos, just as your heavenly Father is teleos, comes at the end of a section in the Sermon of the Mount that started with, I want to see, um, what does it say in verse 17 20? This greater righteousness, this greater righteousness that Jesus is looking for to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on between that to give six examples of what that heart righteousness looks like. You know, uh, anger instead of mercy, uh, instead of murder, um, lust instead of adultery. Those heart attitudes that are in there, that heart righteousness. So it's not a call to moral perfection. It's primarily a call to wholehearted devotion towards God. And to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, it had simply come to mean the external matters of purity and of behavior. That's how they saw it. But actually... It's a matter of the heart towards God, which then flows out into the behavior that we express. So many of you will be aware also that Jesus was continually attacking the Pharisees for being hypocrites. Now, we tend to use the word hypocrisy for perhaps someone like, I don't know, a pastor who preaches on marital faithfulness and then serially commits adultery, and we call that hypocrisy. They They say the right thing, they do the wrong thing. But interestingly, with the Pharisees, it was slightly different because actually much of what they did was the right thing, but they did it with the wrong heart. So their hearts and their actions were not unified. So they actually did many right things, but they were the wrong kind of people. Okay, their hearts were wrong. They lacked this inner virtue that Jesus is looking for. So maybe like someone who buys flowers for someone because it's on a list to do rather than because they really care. Yeah, it's not in their heart. And if you're guilty of that, then, you know, <laughs> we probably are. Some of us might be guilty of that one somewhere along the line. You honor me with your lips, says Jesus, but your hearts are far from me. And Jesus um, expands on it in Matthew 23, in verse 23. And he says this, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of everything that you have, but you've neglected the more important matters of justice, of mercy, and of faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, but your hearts are wrong. Your hearts are wrong. And we'll come back to these words, but we see how this has to be expressed outwardly as well. So, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for true righteousness, for this teleos, wholehearted kind of righteousness, for they will be filled. That is where the blessing is found. And the righteousness of this beatitude, and in fact the Sermon on the Mount, and through Matthew, is about how we live. It is about our conduct. It's not just about this this free gift of righteousness that Jesus gives to us, which he does, but actually it is how we are to respond to God and how we're to respond to people around us. It is about doing the will of God. So again, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father. A few verses later. Therefore, anyone who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice, but it's those who put them into practice that is like the wise man that built his house 
on the rock. And later on in Matthew 21, Jesus tells another parable of two sons and a father. And the father says to one of his sons, will you go out and work in my vineyard? And he says, no. But later on, he changes his mind and he goes. And he says to the other one exactly the same thing. Will you go into my vineyard and work? And he says, yes. But he never actually goes. And he asks the question, which one did the will of my father? And they say, the first one. Even though he said no to begin with. And he goes on, he says, well, I tell you the truth, you know, the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, Pharisees, for John came to show you the way of righteousness, but you didn't believe. So they are entering the kingdom of God. They are going the way of righteousness, this righteousness word again. They are doing what their father's will is in all of that. So it's very practical in many ways. And so this righteousness of this, this beatitude, of this place of blessing, starts upwardly. It starts with our hearts that are fully devoted to God. It is a Godward direction, in relationship with God, wholehearted devotion to Him. But then there's an inward direction, and that is the desire to change what is in here. That as I look to God, I actually see what is in here, and I think, I, this, I'm not comfortable with what is in here. I want to see transformation. I want to see the inner me change in a dramatic way. Um, I'm empty of goodness. I need you to fill me. You know, I've spiritually failed. Uh, I hunger and thirst for change within me. Um, you know, the, the unhealthy attitudes that keep resurfacing in our lives, the disappointment in our hearts that we've fallen again, the habit that seems to have power over us, the addiction, the secret, the, the whatever it is that numbs reality and we wish it were different. You know, we, we read of the sinful women in Luke chapter 7 who comes to Simon the Pharisee's house to see Jesus. And, you know, she's, she's, she's got a terrible reputation. And she falls at Jesus' feet and she pours her tears out and washes his feet with them. And she goes away from that encounter forgiven and with this deep sense of peace and well-being in her heart and her life. She knows that God is with her. She knows that God is on her side. There's that inward direction that starts by coming and devotion, devotionally giving herself to Jesus. And she comes out changed uh, within, hungering and thirsting for change within. But it's also outward. It's towards others. And you can't read the Bible and look at the word righteousness without finding the word justice right alongside it, all the way through. They always show up together. They are very similar words and meanings. God's justice is about making things right in our world. The things that have gone wrong, the things that are broken, the things that, are, that break people's hearts, it's putting things right. There's, there's, a, there's a justice aspect to God's righteousness. And when Jesus challenges the Pharisees on their hypocrisy, he says, you've neglected what? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Because these are things that come from the heart and go outward. It's not just our personal behavior and moral behavior. It, it's how we love others. It's how we change things around us. And when you see injustice, you know, it's hard not to react with emotion um, and a burning desire to try and put something right. We might find it overwhelming, but if our heart's right, that's what the righteous heart wants to do. And Jesus' listeners, hearing his words about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, would have understood that he meant doing the right thing regardless of the circumstances. That being moved towards justice, no matter what it cost. 
You know, it goes on, doesn't it? Blessed are the persecuted um, because of the righteousness. Okay, people who are persecuted, there's a cost involved to much of this. Um, we watched a film last night. This is just a recommendation. It's a film called, what was it called? Um, uh, I forgot now. Hacksaw Ridge. Powerful film about a conscientious objector who goes to war without a gun and comes back a hero as a medic. If you've not seen it, you've got to watch it. Amazing film. A guy called Desmond Doze. But um, he is somebody who does the right thing time and time again, despite the circumstances that he faces. God's desire for our world is shalom. Okay? It is peace. It is harmony. It is justice. It is wholeness. It is completeness. It is everything put right again. Nothing broken. Nothing missing. All things restored. Things between us and God restored. Things between us and, and other people restored. Things between this group and that group whether it's the Tutsis and the Hutus, whether it's the Catalonians and the Spanish, whatever it would be, put right. Um, it is between us and the world in which we live. Everything made right in every dimension. And so just maybe to hunger and thirst for righteousness is all of these things. A deep desire to make everything right across our world. It's outward as well as inward. And Jesus and his crowds knew what he was talking about because their world was broken. Okay, they were being crushed by a Roman superpower that had overpowered them and the fabric of their culture was unraveling before them. They were trapped by paying high taxes. They were losing their inheritances and they were often becoming tenants and servants of the very land that they used to own um, and used to belong to them. Roman occupation meant austerity for them. And the religious Pharisaic leadership wasn't helping because that was leading to exclusion. And there, many were desperate to see things put right, to see justice come. And many of us in our world are desperate, want to see change in our world. We want to see change in our neighborhoods. We, we see the pain. We experience the pain. Um, sometimes it's, it's violence, you know, the knife crime stuff that's been on the news just this week. But sometimes it's poverty, okay? It's theft. It's racism, it's sexual harassment that has been all over society. It's, it's hunger. It's hatred of all kinds of injustice and loss. And for some, that response will be hands-on involvement. You know, what can I practically do? How can I practically support something um, that is involved in that? And for others, it's advocacy. It's how can I lend a voice to these people? You know, how can I help leaders to understand and deliver the justice that is required um, how can I create the space and the conversation or the opportunity for justice uh, to come about by the right actions of the politicians and the po policymakers to that? And many of you have influence to do that kind of thing. So it's doing righteousness, but it's also calling for righteousness. And as one commentator puts it, if we don't, then a prophet Amos will turn up on the scene and say, let justice flow like rivers and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Or a, or a prophet Micah will turn up and say and remind us we've got to walk justly and uh, act, uh, sorry, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before our God. <clears throat> it's powerful, isn't it? Find the hard things to do in this world and, uh, and do them. So righteousness is, is both inward, and it is, 
but it's also outward. Uh, righteousness is not just about personal holiness, which is sometimes that's one group of people see it that way. Sometimes people just see it as social justice. But the righteousness of the New Testament is, is, is a whole righteousness. It, it's, it's all of that. It's a complete heart. It's a whole heart. Uh, and it flows from being filled with God, like we see in that guy there, from hungering and thirst, thirsting for all of that. It's a heart righteousness, a desire for things to be made right within me, around me, and across this world. And then we can be conduits through which God's kingdom comes and flows to things. I just, just want to say one more thing, and that's because Jesus talked about justice, he talked about mercy, and he talked about faithfulness. And uh, just a few words on faithfulness. Faithfulness, we know, is a fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's one of the things that we will be filled with, yeah, is faithfulness. And we know unfaithfulness destroys society in so many ways and wrecks people's lives in a whole host of ways. And uh, there, was, there was a TV drama recently, you may have seen it, um, called Relic, um, which is the word killer backwards, but whatever. Um, and the backdrop to that story was marital unfaithfulness. And there's a key moment in the series when he shouts at his wife. Um, I mean, he's the bad guy in this, to be honest. He shouts at his wife and he says, I can't do anything right. What do you want from me? And her reply is, I want you to want a future for us. I want you to want a future for us. I don't want the outward stuff, okay, the flowers or whatever. I don't want any of the outward stuff. I want the inner stuff. Okay, I want you to desire for the right thing. Okay, that's the starting point in our lives. However much we've messed up, the starting point is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Will I, will I uh, desire for the right thing? Because that is the place where we can be forgiven. That's the place where we can be a, an empty vessel that God can fill. And that's how we turn uh, relationships around. Faithful to God, faithful to one another, faithful to friends, colleagues, whoever it is. It's, it's a wholeness. There's a wholeheartedness. Um, upwardly to God, inwardly here, that goes outward to our world. Let's pray um, together. Maybe the bands could come up as well. Uh, if you're here this morning and you, you feel you've blown it in life and you know that, then this beatitude is for you. If you're frustrated with your inner life, this beatitude is for you. If you're mad at the injustice that you see others experiencing in our world, then this beatitude is for you. this true teleos righteousness. Lord, we pray that you fill us now, that you would fill us with your love. You would fill us with your grace. That you would fill us with your power and with your conviction to do the right thing, to live the right way, and to wholeheartedly follow you. Amen.